0: Good morning, Calvary Chapel. Uh, I trust you had a Merry Christmas. We're looking forward to a Happy New Year. Um, and as you know, if you've attended our church for any length of time, uh, for us, the Christmas season, the Advent season, uh, inevitably leads into a prayer season. We, we set aside a week of the year, uh, ending one year and beginning another with a, a series of prayer meetings, a week of prayer meetings. And so that's going to be happening. Uh, if you're watching this on Sunday, then, then tomorrow night is the first uh, meeting, and we'll go through Friday. That's going to be at 6.30 at the church building, and we'll pray and, uh, as long as we need to. Um, I hope you'll come. I, I would like to see as many people as possible uh, there praying. Um, and, uh, and today, uh, for our, our sermon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about prayer, which shouldn't be a surprise to you at all. Um, so in, in Romans chapter 12, I'll be reading Romans chapter 12, verse 12, and it's going to be kind of a different sermon in that I'm not going to take a large text and walk you through it. I'm going to be focusing in on one individual phrase within one verse, um, in the second half or really the last little part of, of Romans chapter 12, verse 12, and I'll give you a, a little bit of context for Romans 12, we'll, we'll read the verse that I'm, I'm gonna sermonize on and then we'll um and we'll pray so romans chapter 12 begins with the famous passage where paul says i beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of god that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god which is your reasonable service and he's telling the church in rome to to live like christians to live before god as as their one uh, standard their one ruler their one king um, and to present themselves to this priest king as the offering. We, we offer uh, Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's, and as we are made in the image of God, just as a coin is made in the image of a, um, a ruler, a president, or a king, uh, we give the Lord all that we are, all that we have. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then he goes on to uh, mention some spiritual gifts, and he talks about how you, uh, as you serve in your church, as you serve the church of God, that you've been gifted in specific ways uh, in order to bless the Lord and bless his people. And then uh, in in verse 9, he he talks about... um, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And whenever Paul mentions service or spiritual gifts, well, usually he'll talk about service and then he'll go into spiritual gifts because we can't serve with our own strength. And then from spiritual gifts, he'll talk about love. This is true in 1 Corinthians um, when he talks about spiritual gifts. And then in chapter 13, we have the love chapter. Um, and here in Romans chapter 12, it's the same thing. He talks about uh, serving um, serving God, and he says the way we do that is we serve people, and we can't do that on our own, so we rely on the Holy Spirit, and uh, then it, in in speaking about service, he puts a, a, an emphasis on love itself, and he says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, and then he, he lists kind of a, uh, a, a collection of characteristics that should define a Christian. Uh, love being the the first, the foremost, in verse 9. But then we come to verse 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 12, and he's describing the Christian life. He's describing what it, what it looks like to be a Christian who has presented themselves to God, who has resisted conformity to the world, and instead is being transformed by the renewing of their mind. He's describing the Christian who is is serving, who is uh, living a spirit filled life, glorifying God by serving his people. And Romans chapter 12, 12 says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and here's our phrase for this morning, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Um, Romans chapter 12 is one of the best chapters of scripture, so it's hard not to read through the whole thing and just do a study on that, but I'm going to Limit uh, our time here to just that last phrase in verse 12. Um, Be stead, continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, Let's pray. That seems to be the right thing to do. Jesus, I ask that um, that you would help us present ourselves to you, our bodies to you, as living sacrifices. Lord, I I pray that that we, your church, would be defined by these things, and especially by this thing, that we would be devoted, committed, set apart for the task of prayer. I pray that in preaching now, in in teaching from this passage, that that you would be working, and that you would be instilling in me and in each one listening or watching, this commitment to pray, this uh, desire to pray, this fervency in prayer, even the, the skills and the art necessary to pray well. We love you, we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so that the word uh, in verse 12, we'll just start right in, it says, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Um, th- this is the goal. This is what we want to do. And, and the very simple task that I have in preaching this sermon, of course, is is just to show you and hopefully impart to you the awareness and the desire of the importance of prayer, and not just prayer, but a steadfast prayer life. Um, the importance of being actually devoted to and committed to prayer, and more than that, a life of prayer. Because uh, that, that phrase, continuing steadfastly, that's the New King James, and other translations you'll see um, that it means uh, devoted, or translated as the word devoted, um, it kind of means set apart for a purpose. In in Mark 3, verse 9, uh, it's not a passage about prayer, it's actually just a prayer about a, bo- uh, or a verse, um, it's not a verse about prayer, it's a verse about a boat. And uh, when Jesus is teaching the crowds in, in Mark 3, 9, he, he says, have a boat ready. And so the boat was set aside for the purpose that Jesus would get into the boat, and back away from the shore and then preach from there, or it'd be his his escape route, quite literally. Have the boat ready, and the word ready um, is actually the same word for devoted or or continuing steadfastly, interestingly enough. um, It was set apart, the boat was set apart for a specific purpose. And we we talk about being set apart, of course. Um, We talk about uh, being sanctified, being... Consecrated as believers, as Christians, we believe that that Christ has saved us from certain things, and He has saved us to certain things. And and those things that He has saved you to are what you are, what you've been set apart for. Um, and these are things that you are to be devoted to. Um, and God tells, uh, or through Moses in Deuteronomy 14, to, to Israel, He says, "You have been set apart as holy." and we we believe that's true of God's people in old and new Testaments they have been set apart as holy uh, Psalm four verse three says the Lord set apart the godly for himself you've been set apart and and usually we think of of that that terminology that kind of phrase set apart or sanctified or consecrated um These things, we we think of them in moral terms, like you've been saved from doing bad things. And so if that's your entire definition of that phrase, then your imagination kind of stops at just sitting still. It's like if you don't touch the bad things, do not speak or do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. If you don't do the bad things, then that means you are set apart. Good for you. Way to be holy. And, And that's definitely not the whole story. Uh, if you have been set apart, you've been set apart for a purpose, for a, a job, to for a, a specific task at hand. Um, you know, it's not every Sunday that that you hear the pastor compare you to the boat. Uh, the boat's usually not the hero of the story, but in Mark 3, when, when Jesus says, have a boat ready, have it set apart for me so that I can use it when I need it, that is a, a really good picture of what He has done for His people. He has set you apart for a purpose to be used. Now, you are more than a boat. And don't say, I never said anything nice about you. You are more than a boat. Boats just sit there. Uh, But you have been set apart for a higher purpose, to actively involve yourself in a job that you have been given. Now, in in the New Testament, um, it's it's fun sometimes to go and see um, if you're looking at a specific word or phrase in Scripture, Um, It's more than fun. It's important to see where that word is used elsewhere in the New Testament. Um, This helps you interpret a passage correctly, because if you think it means one thing, but then everywhere else it's used in the scripture, it means something else. You might want to question your initial interpretation. So you look at this word, continuing steadfastly or devoted. It's just one word in Greek. And you look at um, this in the New Testament, and five out of ten times... It refers to prayer. It's about people being devoted to prayer, um, and and this is uh, I'll, I'll just read you um, four of those actually. In in Acts chapter one verse fourteen, this is after the ascension of Jesus, while the disciples were waiting in Jerusalem for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and it says, these all the disciples, these all with one mind were continuing continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, of the early converts in Jerusalem, this is after the, the first great sermon that Peter preached, and thousands are saved, the church is born on Pentecost, and it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Acts chapter 6, verse 4, this is the apostles speaking. They say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they were saying there is they were the, the apostles were getting bogged down in um, in specific ministries, specific tasks. In that case, it was a feeding ministry for the the Greek-speaking widows. And they said, we need to appoint deacons, we need to appoint uh other men to do this job so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 this is Paul and I believe he's speaking to all of us not just the Colossians. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Very clear. It's an imperative. It's a command. Devote yourselves to prayer keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Um, and this is This is what you are To devote yourself to this is why you have been set apart Uh, now i'm sure you've asked yourself this i'm sure um, you've gone through seasons in, in your life where you're asking like well what what's my purpose what am i for what's what am i called to what am i supposed to do and um you can honestly tell yourself and be confident in this that you have been called to be devoted completely, continually committed to this task of prayer. You have been called to a ministry of prayer. You have a prayer ministry. You might be failing in it. You know, I, I I always say, you know, we're all disciples, it's just some of us are bad. We're all missionaries. We're all evangelists. It's just a lot of us are really not good at it. Um, we ha- we have been called to specific ministries and this is a specific ministry that each one of you have been called to to devote yourself to pray, pray to prayer excuse me this is not just you've been called to pray sometimes this is not the same as saying that you have been called to pray before your meals uh, as a christian you are required to say to put your hands together and say uh, now I lay me down to sleep. Like, that's not what this is talking about at all. This is saying to be continually devoting yourself to the task of prayer. Continually devoting yourself. Um, you know, the, the thing, when I think of this continually devoting uh, of oneself, I, I think of people who are, are just masters in their field. You know, the, the, the Mozarts of whatever their art or craft may be. And it's been, you know, famously theorized, without a whole lot of scientific backing, that uh, 10,000 hours spent at a thing makes you an expert in that thing. Um, and, you know, there, there's some truth to that. It's that, you know, you, you see someone who is, is just brilliant at what they do, and you think that, you know, they're so gifted, which is true. The Lord gives good gifts. Um, but what's more often than not the case is that person is good at what they do because they have spent an abundance of time on that thing. And not all of that time was at the expert quality, if you know what I mean. Now, that, that when we're told to devote ourselves or continually devote ourselves to prayer, well, what I see there is you put yourself in a process, in a school of becoming an expert in this art of prayer. Just as an artist would spend hours and hours and days and days and months and months, years and years at their craft, you are called to devote yourself to this craft, this inexhaustible uh, art of prayer. So we, we see that we're to be d- devoted and set apart for this thing. And, and, you know, Paul says in the Romans passage, continue steadfastly in prayer and he, we read in First Thessalonians where he says, you know, pray without ceasing. And we always kind of scratch our heads at that and say, you know, did he mean that literally? Does that mean every single minute that we're praying? Well, certainly not with words. We can only have so many tracks of language going at a, at the, at a time in your mind. Uh, when you're talking to someone else, you're not talking to God at the same time. Um, So it doesn't mean to constantly be saying a word necessarily. Um, But I think we we understand this pray without ceasing idea more when we look at what Paul is saying in Romans 12, where he says continue steadfastly or be devoted to prayer. Um, You know, to be a a devoted, say, employee at your work, um, to be a devoted employee does not mean you sleep at work. It does not mean that you are there all the time. Um, to be a devoted spouse, a devoted husband, a devoted wife, uh, that doesn't mean that you're actually with your spouse 24-7. You go to work, you go into different rooms of the house. You're not always there, but you have a pattern, a a consistent faithfulness in that relationship that that really defines that relationship. Um, To continue steadfastly in something means faithfulness. And to continue steadfastly in prayer, I believe, means to develop a consistent pattern of fervent prayer. Uh, to be a disciple is to be a person who prays. And I, and I want to be clear that it's not just the, you know, oh, help prayers. It's not just the prayers when there's an emergency, and it's not just the Lord bless this food to our bodies prayer. It, it, it's a developed Skill of prayer in season and out um, now I'm going to talk about um, different kinds of prayer just briefly at the end later on um, but I, I want to ask a real obvious question and then answer it with a real, some real obvious answers um, but I want this to be in your head and in your heart and you thinking about this um, the-, the question may be asked though probably not why pray at all? And if this question has come up, if this is something that's been in your mind, it may be that you you haven't seen the answers to prayer that you wish you had, or maybe you've just never developed a prayer life and a prayer habit, so you've never had the opportunity to see prayers answered. But the question should be answered, whether or not you've asked it, why pray at all? Uh, probably not a question keeping most of the saints of God up at night. Um, but I have I have a few reasons that I want you to... To consider, and and the first, again, real obvious, is that God works wonders in response to our prayers. Um, I don't know how. I don't know why He has chosen to work in this way. But your prayers can result in His work. And He can do more in the blink of an eye than you can in a hundred lifetimes. Um, you know that, simply put, if we're going to ask and answer that question, why pray? That the simple answer is we pray because prayer works, and God is mighty. Now, this is this is a real reason why I'm asking you. I am asking you to come to our prayer meetings this week, um, because I believe that prayer works, and God does amazing things in response to. Simple prayers, small prayers, and long prayers, and, and the wrestling prayers, and all the kinds of prayers, but God responds in those ways and shows himself strong on behalf of the hearts that are loyal to him. This is why we pray, because we know that God works. So if you believe that God works, here's one of those tests of faith that may show you a, a mirror and you might not like what you see, but if you believe that God works, then why don't you pray more? Uh, If you believe that God is mighty and that he answers prayer, then why do we not spend more of our time individually, but as a church also? Why do we not spend more time in prayer? James, which we studied at the end of uh, last year, James says you have not because you ask not. That's a really, really simple formula. And there are things that you have not simply because you have not put in the the time, the effort, or just the simple decision to offer a simple prayer to the Lord from whom all blessings flow. There's some things that you don't have, and that's really, um, that's the second reason. The first reason that we pray is because prayer works. Prayer works. Praying to a mighty God results in uh, amazing things happening. But the second reason is that our needs are great. Paul prays for believers that they would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Now, I I love that that simple phrase right there in that prayer in Ephesians because it's literally impossible. He says it's a love that is without measure. It's boundless. But he says I'm praying that you would know the dimensions of this thing that doesn't have dimensions. And he, you know, Paul believes in a great big God. He believes in an infinite, eternal God uh, that Scripture declares. And he still prays, I pray that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if that's what we need, and I think we do, if we need to know the love of Christ, to know something that passes knowledge, that is a big ask. Our, our need is great. If we need to be filled with all the fullness of God, that is a a large request. Um... Paul, a missionary and a church leader, he asked for prayer. Um, Missionaries and pastors need you to pray for them. Their needs are great. We have big needs in our individual spiritual lives because we we need to worship a a big holy God. Uh, Servants in your church and, and around the world and doing the work of God need your prayers. Your church needs your prayers. Um, we we have the the sick um, people struggling with various issues. There's um, simply uh, just a sadness um, that exists in in people in our church and and a lot of people that you know um, maybe this year more than normal and they need you to pray. If you believe that God is a mighty God who works wonders and he and prayer, and you have been set aside, you have been devoted, God has taken you and set you apart for the purpose of praying, then you need to pray for these great needs. Now, outside of our church, outside of just the community of believers, the world needs your prayers. It is hurt. Your neighbors, unbelievers in your family, need your prayers. You have been called and set apart for the purpose of prayer, to devote yourself continually to prayer for these needs. World leaders, community leaders, Paul says that, you know, um, we ought to pray for the governing authorities. And he gives the reason, too. He says so that we can live peaceably. So that we, the church, can have a measure of peace and freedom to worship. For that reason, we pray for our world leaders who are under an immense amount of stress, who are facing challenges that you aren't, and we pray for them. We lift them up and pray for them. The unreached. Um, you know, we, the the Lord tells His disciples, the field is white for harvest. So pray the Lord of the harvest that He would send laborers out into the harvest. He tells his disciples exactly what to pray for. That request to pray, that command to pray for this thing is still there right before us because there are still unreached peoples, unreached nations who have not heard the name of Jesus. And we pray for them that a laborer would be sent to them. We pray that the Lord of the harvest would be clear in his call to raise up uh, missionaries serving in an apostolic type of ministry, laying foundations, preaching the gospel where no one else has preached the gospel. And we need to pray for that. We've been commanded to pray for that. There is evil in the world. And, you know, in Revelation there's uh, the golden altar where the incense is rising and it's the prayers of the saints. And and if, if you had told me just that, and I hadn't read the book of Revelation, and I I was asked what kind of prayers would they be. I would think they would be, uh, you know, doxology-type prayers. Glory to God, uh, and um, blessed be your name, and just the the praises of the Psalms, but um, they are kind of like the Psalms, but the actual prayers that are rising are, How long, O Lord? The actual prayers that are rising up on the golden altar in heaven, the ones that we have transcribed for us by the Apostle John, are prayers struggling with the evil of the world. Where you pray, how long, O Lord? How long injustice? How long persecution? How long? And while there are evils in the world, um, while there are while there are believers being slaughtered, while there are babies in the womb being murdered, while these things are happening, our prayers are in need. Okay, it's there it's always going to be a a time where prayer is needed. You know, Paul says to where to be patient in tribulation, tribulation is always. Man is born to trouble. As the sparks fly upward, it says in in Job. Okay, we're, it's always going to be troubling, but I, I think of the evil in our world now, and and I think of you know after emergencies of one sort or another, you know the the blood banks, the California Blood Bank, will maybe put out a an ad on the radio or something like that, saying, Hey, we really really need you know that that O negative. We really need blood right now, and you can come and donate. Like we need it especially right now. And I don't know if it's accurate to say that we need prayer, especially right now, because, um, you know, it's always it's always an error to look back at the good old days. Ecclesiastes says they weren't that good. Um, But I I do see the evil in the world. And I, I see this parallel of of an emergency call saying your prayers are needed. We need donations. We don't we don't need donations of money. We don't need donations of volunteering at the soup kitchen. What we need, we need volunteers to come and pray. Your prayers, your donation of prayer is needed. Christ has called you to this kind of prayer. You have been set apart and devoted to this kind of prayer. And the third reason, really, I said the first reason was simply the prayer works. And the second is that our needs are great. And the third, the real obvious reason of why we pray, why you need to come this week to these prayer meetings is that um, he told you to <laughs> uh, the word of God commands, be devoted to prayer. Okay, Romans 12 verse 12. We believe that's more than than just Paul's words for a church in Rome. We believe that this is inspired word of God from the Holy spirit to the church And and when Paul writes to the Romans, when Paul writes to the uh, Colossians, and he says, devote yourself to prayer, Colossians 4.2, that's a word to you. That is a command from God to you. Neglect is disobedience. And Jesus tells his disciples very clearly, he says, if you love me, then keep my commandments. That's it. And then he goes on to tell them, uh, we'll read this in John in the New Year when we get into um, John chapter you know, 14, 15, 16. He says, if you love me, keep keep my commandments. And then he, he tells them a new commandment I give you, love one another. It's like, that's great. Okay, that's the commandment, love. And then he goes on in that same upper room discourse and he says, you haven't asked anything from me yet, but you're going to ask and you're going to receive. And so he, he leads from love into prayer just the same way that Paul does here in... Um, Romans chapter 12. Now, when whenever it's just this clear, you know, when it is black and white, this is the command. Love your neighbors. Love your enemies. Sometimes those are the same people. Whenever it's this clear, and it's just a command, it's not, think about praying sometimes if it's good for you. Uh, it's, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then we read the commandments. Devote yourself to prayer. And it's it's just clear. It's stark. They're... they're there is some recoil in some of us when things are this blunt, because we all like loopholes, because loopholes are allowances uh, for us to not do what we're told. Um, but orders are real, and we, we shouldn't downplay that. I'm, I don't want to downplay that Christ has told you to do something. He has saved you from one thing. He has saved you to another, and now that you are in the realm of the saved... You have been employed, you have been given a task, and this is the task that you have been given to do. Devote yourself to prayer. Gain uh, the strength that comes from consistent habits of prayer. That's an order that is given to you. Now, I, again, I don't want to downplay the order, but I do want to show you that His commandments are sweet. <laughs> Uh, All God's orders are invitations. I I, I think this is true of whenever he orders his people to something, um, it's an invitation. You know, there's uh, examples be, you know, he he calls you to love a person, but you know what? God already loves them. And when he calls you to love that person, you go and act and behave in love towards them. You are moving into an area where God already exists when uh, God calls you to serve, maybe in a, in a foot-washing kind of way, a, a humble on-your-knees-scrubbing-the-grout-out kind of way, when, when He calls you to serve, He's calling you to Himself because Jesus is the one that laid aside His garments and took the towel and washed the disciples' feet. He is always in that place of service. When, when he, he calls you to that kind of humility, well, we read that he is close to the broken hearted, to the humble, to the contrite in heart. When he calls you to something, he's not sending you away. He's inviting you in. You know, or you, you go to maybe another extreme. You say he, he calls you to the most distant jungle of Papua New Guinea or the, you know, some uh, part of sub-Saharan Africa. And he calls you to that part, but God is there. You know, we read, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The answer is nowhere. So when he calls you, he's not... I mean, when you call someone, you don't call someone to go. You call someone and draw them near. A call is an invitation. He calls you to himself. And now he has ordered you. He has sent you. He has ordained you to pray steadfastly, devoted in prayer dedicated to prayer. You are employed. You have been drafted. But what for? For a a far off place? What far off place have you been sent to? No, you've been sent to God himself. You have been called into the throne room of God to let your requests be made known to him and the requests that he has set on your heart and, and ordered you even to bring, like the request for laborers into the harvest. You have been sent to God. What ministry have you been called to? Prayer. You have been called to prayer. Now, talking to God. Now, this is the call. This is the, These are the orders given. And this gives truth to the statement. His burden is light. He has called you to himself. Mo- you know, moving from uh, why to pray. I think we've seen that to how to pray. You know, I, I just said it. It's talking to God. It's going into the throne room of the creator of the universe and letting your requests be made known to him. That's what prayer is. That's why we pray. And this is how we pray. We go to him, Paul already said, with the attitude of thanksgiving. We go to him continuing steadfastly. We we devote ourselves. We continue um, to develop this skill in order to be experts in prayer. And and I want to, I want you to be aware here that that conversations, and that's what prayer is, it is in its in its most basic sense, its essence, a, a conversation between man and God through the one mediator, Jesus Christ. Conversations follow a a route. And um, you know, the, the deep soul-connecting conversation usually doesn't happen over text um, or in the first thirty seconds 30 seconds. Texting is great, and short conversations are necessary for every relationship, every kind of, you know, just, you you pass on information, and if it takes five seconds, that's fantastic, but uh, not all conversations can be like that, just like not all conversations can be, you know, two hours long. But to continue steadfastly, and to be devoted in conversation, you have to stay, you have to stick with it. um, Daily, There is a need to connect with God and to develop um, these habits. And then less frequently, I would say there's a need for for you to draw away for for longer periods of time. A prayer retreat. Draw away for more than you normally would. As long as you possibly can. um, For uh, your alone time with the Lord. Um, But in Scripture, in the New Testament, prayer is done both alone and together. And, you know, Jesus, he, he goes away early in the morning. He, he leaves um, before there, it, it's even light and goes and talks with his father. Um, but in the upper room, we see the disciples there together of one accord, continually devoting themselves to prayer. There are a hundred people there at a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 2. Um, you know, our prayer week there is an opportunity for you to obey and bring your needs before the Lord. It's an opportunity to see the mighty hand of God. Now, I've mentioned, uh, you know, in this how to pray part, um, you know, that prayer is this and that. It's the short conversation and the long conversation. It's alone and together. And I I, I found a list, actually. I didn't write this. This is from another pastor. Um, But he he came up with a a series of five couplets describing prayer that I'm going to go over briefly. Um, and, And this... This, I think, if you if you devote yourselves to these kinds of prayers, you will become the expert in prayer that you have been called to. Um, and he says, prayer needs to be free and formed, uh, free and formed. Now, uh, in you know our, our non-denominational evangelical circles, you know, free is has the emphasis. Of course, it's just praying whatever's on your mind, just praying whatever's on your heart. You know, we we say a phrase like "be led by the Holy Spirit." Just just pray, just. Pray whatever you you want. You're just talking to a friend, so just pray. And then a formed prayer would be like praying the Our Father. um, Or praying the Psalms in the exact writing that they're already in. You know, praying uh, liturgy. And prayer should incorporate both of these things. Now, of course, for our prayer week, most of that will be uh, free prayer. Um, But we will, you know, certainly pray the Our Father. Uh, we'll pray passages of scripture, and prayer should be both. And i encourage you not to downplay one for the sake of the other, and do not assume that just because you are reading or reciting a prayer that it is somehow less authentic. Um, so, so we we want to incorporate both of those things: praying, uh, you know, the words of of scripture. Those. Uh, the liturgy of the Psalms and then praying freely as well we also pray alone and assembled that's the next couplet we pray alone and assembled Jesus says this is how you pray you go alone in your closet so that's a that's a very serious directive from our commander-in-chief we go alone into a closet no one hears you no one sees you you're not praying out loud you're not praying making a big show of it okay pray alone that's good and I think that's Probably the, the, the most necessary type of prayer, as it is the kind that is uh, ordered uh, by Christ. Pray alone in your closet. But then also, we pray assembled. And we see that the apostles in Acts chapter 1, um, Acts chapter 2, the apostles came together to devote themselves to prayer. And many times, most of the time in the New Testament, we see the church assemble together to pray together. Um, Now again, for day to day, um, have a habit of prayer. At at least once a day, I would say morning and evening is better. Set aside a time to actually pray. And then, when the opportunity is there, assemble with others to pray. Perhaps you have a a prayer partner, or there's one person that prays with you regularly, or a small group. I'm delighted uh, to know that there are several small prayer groups in our church. Um, And this is an opportunity this week to assemble together for the purpose of prayer. Um, Next, the the next couplet, there's free and formed, alone and assembled, uh, desperate and delighted. And and this is one of my favorites because whatever your emotional state is, uh, you know, a couple days after Christmas now, Whatever the emotional state or the uh, psychological state uh, of your family is right now, you are ripe for prayer. Um, there is a lie that we tell ourselves or or that we're conditioned to somehow. That it's the idea that It's like, well, I don't feel like praying now. I don't think I'd be good at it now because I'm really grumpy. Um, it's like, no, no, no. It, it, you're at the perfect spot to pray right now. To pray honest prayers before the Lord. Um... <laughs> Or what may be worse is, well, everything's fine right now. I'm having a great time. I don't need to pray because my life is fine. You know, I'm not suffering. When when something bad happens, then I'll pray. Oh help! Oh help! Oh help! Oh help! Um, but now I don't. I don't need to do that. But that that's wrong. There's the season for prayer is now. You know, we pray in season and out of season. But the the truth is, it's always in season. So desperate or delighted, either way, if you are if you have an awareness of your needs. If you are are struggling uh, just to get keep your head above water, then it's time for you to pray. And if everything is great, and you know this this was just a fantastic season in your life, and everything's fine, and you enjoy your family, you enjoy your job, and church is cool, and you're growing in the Lord or whatever, it's time to pray. Either way, it's time to pray. And you know what? It's time to pray together. Because when Paul says you mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice, that means that you, no matter what you're feeling, you are with people who are mourning or rejoicing. Maybe even if you're not. And you engage with them in their prayers. And again, we have an opportunity to do that this week. Uh, The the next couplet there is explosive and extended. Explosive and extended. Um, Explosive prayers it would just be that you think about it in the back of your mind. You're like, oh, you know, God bless so-and-so. And, you know, I haven't thought about them. Maybe I should call them sometime, but just, just bless them. And then you go back to paying for your groceries, you know, because that's when you thought about it and thought about praying. And so there's those little, like, you know, five-second prayers that you just send up and, and pray, you know, silently, in the, in the middle of a conversation even, you just pray. That's good. Develop those habits. But there's also a need for these extended times of prayer. We're praying for something, um, you know, not for seconds, but rather minutes or hours, and then setting aside that time for days and weeks, and praying, and praying, and praying. My favorite example of a prayer like this is in Nehemiah, which we're actually going to be going through in our prayer week. We're going to read through Ezra and Nehemiah this week with some um, brief comments along our way, and use that as kind of an outline for our time of prayer. Um... But in, in Nehemiah, you know, after Nehemiah hears from his brother that the gates of Jerusalem are burned and destroyed, he begins praying. And it mentions the calendar date of when he started praying. And then it is a hundred days later when he comes before the king uh, and he doesn't look happy and the king is worried. And then he's worried because the king noticed he wasn't happy. And the king said, why why are you looking like that? What's wrong? What's wrong, Nehemiah? And then it says, and then I prayed to the Lord my God. So that's just like one of those arrow prayers that you just send out. That's an explosive prayer. He is aware of the need, and so he prays. But you can pray a mighty, mighty one-second prayer if you've been praying about that thing for a hundred days. So these two types of prayer aid each other, assist each other. There's explosive and extended. And then... Um, in the same way, it's really almost the same the same thing, but it's slightly different is spontaneous and scheduled. Um, and you know you the scheduled prayer is really the the different kind of thing. You know you just because you have to mark it on your calendar and say, "You know, hold all my calls, I'm busy for the next fifteen minutes, that doesn't make your prayer any less, you know spiritual. Um, these habits, these rigid habits. Are what make experts in their craft, and I know um, that most of us would like to be just naturally good at things immediately, um, but you don't get naturally good at things. That's not the way it works. And to be a person who is an expert in prayer, you have to practice. You have to practice. Just if you were taking uh, piano lessons, you know, it, and you'd walk past the piano and maybe play something, that's fine. But that's not going to make you an expert at that instrument. You have to set aside time. And you know what? You have to set aside a lot of time to sit down and not do anything else and only dedicate yourself to your craft. And what we have this week from 6.30 till whenever, um, Monday through Friday, though we'll start a little bit later uh, on New Year's Eve. We'll probably... uh, start an hour or so later, but you'll just have to come to see what time we're actually going to start. Um, You have an opportunity to schedule a time, to set aside a time, to devote yourself to extended times of assembled prayer. And we have an opportunity to see the mighty hand of God work on our behalf, on behalf of our church, our community, uh, the lost in our families and our community, we have an opportunity to see the prayers of a simple small church in Northfork have effects that ripple through nations. And so I, I, I'm inviting you. Um, I'm I'm telling you to come, and I'm letting you know that. I'm praying for our church that we would develop in this skill, this art, this ministry of prayer. Not only that we would be good at praying now and then, but that we would be able to be rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing steadfastly in prayer. Let's pray now. Jesus, this is what we're asking for. We're asking for Your Holy Spirit's aid, um, when we, even when we don't know how to pray for as we ought. You, you pray with us. You pray for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. God, I pray that You would help our church pray well. That You would assist us uh, in our attempt um, to to draw near to You, to to come to You where You have called us. God, let us not neglect this ministry. But instead, let us be strong in prayer. Let us be humble in prayer. We are thankful for the opportunity to pray, and we are thankful in advance, Lord, for the answers that you're giving. In Jesus' name. Amen.